0: Amen? We are thankful for Christ and Grandpa Steve. And we are thankful for Christ and Grandpa Steve, yeah. Family, I want to welcome you this morning if you're visiting with us. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the servants here. And this morning we're continuing our series Road Trip through Numbers where we're chronicling kind of the time since the Israelites have been rescued from slavery in Egypt and kind of chronicling the time towards when they'll be delivered into the promised land of Canaan. Last week, we looked at the Israelites complaining, basically saying, where's the meat? Where's the beef? If you're my age or older, you remember, where's the meat? Right? And we even saw that Moses complained and said, hey, he's not saying, where's the meat? He's saying, where's the help with all these complaining people that you've called me to lead and to shepherd? This morning, we're going to see complaining again like Steve mentioned, in the form of mutiny. But since it's baseball season, I thought I would show you a, just a short clip of a classic complainer that some of you may remember. Go ahead and roll that video for me. He does again, kicks away. Pagan toward third, to throw. Got him. The ball hit the dirt, but on the bounce, Escobar able to get it. He applies the tag. Pagan and Mike Quadi arguing, and here's Lou. This could be yep. the one. There it is, number one. The first ejection as a Cubs manager for Lou Pinella, and he is really letting Mark Wagner have it. Just kick dirt on him. I don't think anybody's surprised that he picked today to do it. Bruce Bremming getting in the way. He just kicked the head. Just as an FYI, this wasn't Lou's first dance with complaining to an umpire and getting ejected. I mean, there are entire YouTube compilations that you can peruse at your leisure. He was an expert at it. Who is he complaining to? The ump, right. Yeah, and why is that a problem in the game of baseball? What was that? The ump has final authority. The ump has the power to say, you're gone, right? And for Lou, oftentimes, that happened. They've been given authority by Major League Baseball. This morning, as Steve kind of referenced, we're going to see complaining too, and it's in relation to someone in authority. Now, usually we'll take some time. We'll read the whole of the scripture and then give you a couple minutes to to talk about it. I'm not going to do that this morning. We're going to walk our way through it because sometimes in a narrative that steals the punch before you get there. But I will invite you to turn to Numbers chapter 12 if you brought a Bible with you. If you're using one of our Bibles, that's on page 104 underneath your chairs. But we're going to turn to Numbers chapter 12 as we look at complaining part two from last week. Numbers chapter 12, and we're going to start in verses 1 through 2. Numbers chapter 12. And Father, as we turn to these pages, we pray that your spirit would work in the same way that I felt your spirit working through Grandpa Steve. We pray that you would be gracious to us, and we pray that your son, Jesus, would be made famous in our hearts for your glory and for the good of ourselves and our entire community and the nations, we pray. And God's people said, amen. Verse 1. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked. Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. So Miriam and Aaron are our big sister and big brother to little brother. And notice how they handle kind of some grumblings that they have. They talk against Moses. They talk behind his back to the other Israelites and complain about his leadership, the way he's leading. And this isn't the way that scripture would call us to handle when we have a problem with somebody. Whether it be a brother or sister in Christ, whether it be a peer... And at least on the surface, he, surface here's the problem that they say that they have. Because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. And, um, you know, with this, various scholars think this refers to Moses' wife, Zipporah, from the book of Exodus. Or a more recent wife. And the reason that they wonder this is uh, not because geographically, if you look here, I've got a pointer, I think. Here's Midian. Here's where Zipporah was from. And if you look over here, here's where they think Cush was. And it was a different region geographically. So they wonder, are they talking about Zipporah? Or are they talking about a more recent wife or something like that? And um, you could make arguments either way, but all of them are from silence. So I kind of would go with what Scripture says. And there's a Scripture in Habakkuk chapter 3 that says this. I saw the tents of Kishan in distress, the dwellings of Midian, in anguish. So this is kind of like parallelism. That would seem to be saying that they're one and the same place. Right? So I go with this being Zipporah. Nevertheless, another reason that uh, they think that this might, or the reason they think this might be different is, again, geographically, they think that Midian's here, Cush is here. And if this is a wife, later on, after Zipporah, from Cush, They think something could be going on with Miriam where there's a racial prejudice present because that would be, uh, if you're from Cush, you would have had a darker complexion, a darker skin color. I don't think that's what's going on, and we'll see that as we continue in our passage, but nonetheless, this is important to note because if you were to go throughout the Bible, you'll see that as the Israelites make their way up to the promised land of Canaan, he tells them not to intermarry with other peoples, with other races, so to speak. But listen closely. The Bible never talks about interracial marriage being wrong or bad. The reason they're not supposed to intermarry with some of these other nations has nothing to do with skin color, has nothing to do with race, and has everything to do with the gods who are worshipped by those nations. Is that distinction clear? Okay, but it needs to be really clear. This is important to understand because judging someone based on the color of their skin, which is something someone has absolutely no control over, it's sin. It's sin. In fact, racial differences are a blessing to society in general. They're a blessing to this spiritual family. Amen? And we're going to worship Jesus with people from all nations for eternity. So why not practice now? Amen? Verse 2. Verse 2 speaks of the real reason, kind of the beef that big sister and big brother had. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked. Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. So this is just jealousy. This is simply a matter of jealousy. Little brother has special access and privilege before God, and we don't. And God would say, yeah. And Miriam's discontent with her standing in the spiritual pecking order, and thus she's kind of challenging Moses' spiritual leadership of the people. And if you were here last week, you'll remember that Moses complained about the complaining of the Israelites, and God gave him 70 other men who he put some of his spirit on in a similar way to how he had done with Moses so that he could, they could share the burden. But I mean, if you're Miriam, I get it. Remember back with me. Moses' continual begging to lead this people, he relentlessly asks God, he's like, please, please, please let me lead these people. I mean, the resumes are this high, but he just keeps calling God's office and says, voicemail after voicemail after voicemail, please, please, please. Isn't that how you remember it? Oh, okay, me neither. It's the opposite of how it went, right? He was this reluctant servant, who God relentlessly pursued through a burning bush, and then when he's like, like I could say, I can't speak as well as Grandpa Steve, he's like, okay, I'll give you your brother Aaron, he can speak for you, and Moses finally, in in essence, cries uncle, and he's a willing servant, and says, okay, God, your will be done, in essence. Even last week in chapter 11, as Moses is crying out to God, we see how Moses views himself as God's servant, he's not wielding his spiritual authority and throwing it in Mary and Aaron's face. In fact, we read in verse three. "Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Guess who's thought to ru- have written this? Moses, which <laughs> you're like, a uh, problem here. Uh, I'm going to write. Now, I'm a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. So some have said, well, someone else had to add that after the point. I think it actually points to the fact that this was inspired by God. Who would want to write that other than God inspiring them to write that about themselves, right? I think it actually proves to it. You have to be humble to write based on God telling you to do so that you're the most humble man on earth. I couldn't write that. This is not true. Some think, uh, again, so I think, this is, uh, I think this is Moses' is obeying God again. But he, he wasn't given authority to lead the Israelites for his benefit. He was given spiritual authority as a servant for others' benefit, for their benefit. And that's an essential principle of the why God gives authority. Verses 4 to 8. At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you, So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When both of them stepped forward, he said, Listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He's faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face. Clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Miriam's objection was that God spoke to Moses in a unique way, and God says yes. Right? He's leading a nation upwards of two million people. And God expected Miriam not to be jealous of Moses' leadership, but to see it as God's will and to follow him because he was a humble leader. He had a unique relationship with God. But this was a good thing and a bad thing. And he didn't flaunt this. He didn't use this, like, for power. He wasn't power hungry. Last week, again, we, we saw that God gave Moses 70 helpers, so to speak. And there were two that I don't even think were a part of that who prophesied. God spoke to them. They spoke to the people. And Joshua, who would take over for Moses one day, was like, hey, let's squash that. And Moses is like, No way. I wish that all the people would prophesy. It wasn't about Moses. It was about God. Amen? That's why he says, Why were you then not afraid to speak against my servant? And notice, last week, this week, God sees Moses in the same way Moses sees Moses. As his servant. As his servant. And you wouldn't know this, but from the Hebrew grammar, you would really see that Miriam's the ringleader and Aaron's just kind of going along with her. The grammar makes it state that the beef was really between Miriam and how she objected to Moses and Aaron was going on. And again, they're speaking against Moses. They're not speaking to Moses. It would be totally different if they were speaking to Moses. They're speaking against Moses behind his back with the Israelites. Verses 9 to 12. The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, there stood Miriam, leprous like snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had leprosy, and he said to Moses, Please, my Lord, do not hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. God is not happy. He doesn't want people to steal his glory and so we're told as Aaron, his anger burned against Miriam. And anger, Miriam has leprosy. It uses some pretty descriptive language to show what that would have looked like. What I want to point out is that Aaron acknowledges what he and Miriam did in speaking against Moses. And in stirring up kind of people behind his back. It was sin. He's acknowledging that. And notice here too, what does Aaron call Moses kind of a term of of authority, my Lord, right? He's like submitting himself to his leadership. Now, here's what's interesting. Please, my Lord, don't hold it against us. What was the role of Aaron? Anybody know? High priest, right? I think. He's a high priest. But who is he asking to act as high priest, in essence, to go to God on his behalf? Moses. Interesting. It's almost as if Moses is pointing towards someone else. Verse 13, how would Moses respond? Think about when you had siblings and, you know, they would wrong you. How would you respond? How would Moses respond? So Moses cried out to the Lord, oh, please God, heal her. But crying out is different than the voice I just used. Please God, heal her. Doesn't this seem like a pretty compassionate response on the part of of little brother towards his big sister who's, who's tried to poison, in essence, how others view his leadership. It seems like an example of humility towards someone who doesn't deserve it. Verses 14 to 16. The Lord replied to Moses, if her father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people didn't move on till she was brought back. After that, the people left Hazaroth and encamped in the desert of Paran. So God apparently didn't answer Moses' prayer, at least in the way he, we think that he was asking. Seems like he was saying, just take it away. Right? And God's like, man, if, if her father spit in her face, she'd be outside the camp for seven days. What she did, that, that was serious. So here's what I want you to do put her outside the camp for seven days. Then, after that time, we'll take her leprosy away, and the Israelites can move on. Think about this you've got two million people. She's been put outside the camp because of her leprosy. She can't be in it. Everyone would have known. At some level, there would have been a huge amount of shame that she might have felt. But also notice, when did two million-ish people move on? When did they move on? After she was healed. After she was healed. (laughs) What an act of mercy in some senses. Think of what would have happened had they moved on and left her, destitute alone in the desert to fend for herself as a woman. At times, even when we screw up or others screw up and it's our fault, we need to serve them by waiting for God to work in their lives. The same way they did for Miriam. Now, I kind of went through this quickly. I want to spend the rest of my time applying this. But before I do so, I have to admit I was a little apprehensive to apply this passage. And here's why. Because for our spiritual family, I'm one of the appointed servants. And this passage deals directly with complaining against God's appointed servants. I was like, uncle, next one. I remember the first couple uh, messages I got at Kettlebrook. Someone died. And I'm like, Mike, come on. Anyways. The older I get, the more I think, you know what, we need to talk about things that are uncomfortable. We just need to talk about them. So I'm going to talk about them. So I want to talk about some similarities and some differences between that, that point and today. Differences. Moses was Israel, the Israelites' clear, singular servant. He was the man for that time, in that place, to lead the whole nation to the promised land. Today, that, that doesn't take place. There is no one clear, singular servant for all of God's people. But what happens, if you look at the New Testament, people will go to a place, they'll share the message of Jesus Christ, people will believe, they'll raise them up spiritually, and then they'll those who prove faithful and reliable to Jesus, they'll make them what's called elders, which are spiritual leaders. And then those are the people, in plurality, who lead individual spiritual families. That's a difference. Moses led a nation. Today the church is from all nations. That's pretty self-explanatory, right? The Holy Spirit was, this is interesting, the Holy Spirit was upon some. The Holy Spirit was uniquely working in Moses' life. God shared some of that unique working with 70 others. The crazy part is today, if you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, um, trusted him, For the forgiveness of sins, eternal life. You're his dearly loved son. You're his dearly loved daughter. Doesn't matter whether it's you or me. We have the same spirit living inside of us. We're, quote unquote, the scriptures say, indwelt by the spirit. That's different. Think about if you ever don't feel compassion for the Israelites. Think about trying to obey the law of God without the Holy Spirit living inside of you. I have enough trouble with the Holy Spirit living inside of me. Right? Moses was a type of Christ. What he did as high priest, in essence, pointed forward to Jesus. In rescuing people from slavery and bringing them and delivering them, pointed forward to Jesus. He was a type of Christ. Similarities. God still calls men and women to spiritually lead his people. 1 Peter 5 talks about the elders among you. I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering... And one who will share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds, notice that word, be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, not like wielding your authority, but being examples to the flock. Shepherds, not lording it over, but being examples. Spiritual leaders are to be servants. In a passage where Jesus tells his disciples, hey, don't be like those who don't follow me, the Gentiles in that time who lorded over people. They used their power for them, not to serve others. I want you to be different. I want you to be a servant. The first will be last. Just as the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Anyone who God has given spiritual authority is to be a servant first and foremost a servant shepherd spiritual leaders are for the benefit of the people they are shepherding in the same way that moses sees himself as god's servant on behalf of the people if you are given if a person is given spiritual authority or leadership they are to be for the benefit of the people they are shepherding it's not about them just like it wasn't about moses it was about god whether it's a pastor, whether it's an elder, whether it's a ministry leader, whether you lead a group of some sort, it's for the benefit of the people that you're called to help shepherd, not yourself. Spiritual leaders are called to humility first and foremost. I think of Philippians 2, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. If that was the attitude of Moses and principally Jesus, That would be our attitude, too. Time and time again, we see spiritual leaders are called to pray on behalf of those they shepherd. We have a team of people who every single week pray for us as a family. What a blessing. In multiple ways, multiple times. What a blessing. But when they deserve it, when they don't deserve it, even if they've been wrong. Moses is just an example. In the same way that Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they've done. Lastly, talking against people versus to people is against God's design. And you could take this outside of leadership in, in a faith community, but we need to talk to people rather than behind their backs, rather than against people. Matthew 18 lays out what that is. Go to them yourselves. Can't win them over. Take another. Can't win it Lays it out. That would include spiritual leaders too. You should at times... Talk to spiritual leaders about how you're thinking, feeling. Sometimes I know, like, it, I remember Troy and I, our lead pastor Troy Lather, we're talking on the phone one time, and we got off, and my wife's like, "Do you guys always talk to each other that way?" And I'm like, "Yeah, why?" She's like, I would hate that. Like, we're just direct with each other, right? (laughs) Now, so where I'm going with that is sometimes, I I don't think so, but sometimes it can be intimidating to think about talking to someone who who is spiritually leading, but hopefully we're approachable, and hopefully we're humble, and hopefully when you do, you see, man, these these are just normal people, like, like me. So you should at times talk to, we don't have an environment. Some environments you're in will say, no, you don't question leadership. We don't say that. Okay? 1 Timothy 5.19, to counter that, says don't entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. Think about this time period. Paul, the apostle Paul, is writing to Timothy, his apprentice. Timothy's job is to share the good news of Jesus Christ, see those who receive it, build them up, disciple them to the point where they can have spiritual leadership, be elders, and then move on and do it. And so with that, he's like, you know, like, Yes, take seriously accusations against elders, but, like, don't have it be picky things. Like, I don't like his personality as much, right? Or this or that. Like, we're trying to see people become followers of Jesus who then help other people become followers of Jesus. So, yes, we want to take seriously accusations against spiritual leadership, but, like, is this just a one-off thing where someone disagrees on this one random thing, or is this a character issue, which is serious if it's a character issue? And have I seen it? repeatedly and have other people seen it too does that make sense the difference rather than i don't like ryan he likes the vikings all right next <laughs> hebrews 13 7 hebrews i don't know if i like ryan because he likes the vikings either he's not very smart hebrews 13 7 this one we're going to talk about obey your leaders and submit to their authority they keep watch over you as many must give an account obey them so that their work will be a joy not a burden for that would be of no advantage to them we're all called to submit to our servant leader jesus christ with that in mind i want to talk about this one because this might be one that's hard and again it feels almost weird talking about this because i think that leadership in any sphere but especially the church is much more about influence than authority and let me describe what I mean by that. If we need a, to talk a lot about how and why we are in authority and that the family needs to submit to that authority, we probably don't have the relational influence that's needed to shepherd well. Does that make sense? If we need to say all this kind of stuff, we probably don't have the relational influence to shepherd well. And this is probably why we don't talk about this often, hopefully. Like, I can't ever remember us talking about this topic. Maybe we have, but I don't remember it. That's why it's good, again, to teach on uncomfortable topics and teach through the scriptures. But in general, we are so blessed by the relational authority we have in this family and that you entrust to us. And what I mean by that is influence. We have huge influences in this family as servants. And because I hope and I believe it's because we built a track record where you rightfully feel you can trust us. Right? We're in each other's lives. So when it says obey your leaders, submit to their authority, I I don't remember a time where I'm like, you need to do this. You need to do that. Well, that's just not how we lead. Two, it doesn't seem to work very well. As well as asking questions where people own things and self-discover themselves like Jesus says. Hebrews 13 talks about the work of the leaders, elders being a joy, not a burden, a burden. And that if their work is a joy, it's going to benefit everybody. But if it's a burden, everybody loses. Take me out of this. We have four other men who serve as elders in this spiritual family. Troy Lather. Uh, We have, and there's many who have come before these men. Jay Mundinger, Ryan Hughes, Dan Johnstone. Uh, We're blessed to have these men serving us. Not just once, not just twice, regularly, we pray for you. And I've heard these men break down and weep because they love you so much. I could say the same thing about staff that we have. Now, I'm biased, but I feel so blessed to be a part of this family and this elder team and and this staff team because I can honestly tell you they love you. They love you, family. They see their job not as being in power but empowering. And there's a huge difference in this. And I didn't put this in my draft, and I'm glad Troy's not in here. He reads my messages, so I couldn't put this in there because he'd tell me to strike it. But we are extremely blessed to have the lead pastor that we have. (laughs) Amen? He serves me and he serves us in many ways he wouldn't have to. He's in kids ministry right now. In many ways that other lead pastors would feel is beneath them, just like Mike did before him. He tries to uh, entrust and give spiritual authority away, not hoard it, not keep it. And if he were here, I would say, brother, we are so blessed to have you leading us because you would say our true leader is Jesus Christ. Amen? And whether the Troy, the elders, pastors, or ministry leaders, group leaders, I, I would hope that you see servant leadership within this family. And I think if you didn't, you probably wouldn't be here, right? And if you don't, you probably shouldn't be here, maybe in the sense of shouldn't. I mean, I would question why you're here, right? Because, not because it's a power thing again, but because there's so many good churches in this general area, right? What you want to do is you want to find a spiritual family where you agree with the vision, where you agree with the values, where you see flawed but trying leadership who seek to serve and to lead and to empower and give spiritual authority away, not hoard it for themselves, Amen. That's what we want to do. That's what we would hope that you would see. Now, one caveat here. I think part of the reason why a topic like this can be hard is because spiritual authority can be abused. Correct? It can be abused. And some of you have maybe been a part of that in one way, shape, or form. And if that's you, I'm so sorry. If you felt that way in this family, I'm so sorry. That is not our heart. That is not our heart. And I mean, I, I just read an article within the past couple weeks of revelation of sexual abuse in, within a large kind of denomination. And it's deeply saddening. Saddening, right? It's not a Catholic thing. It's not a Protestant thing. It's a, it's a deeply saddening, deeply sinful thing. When First Timothy talks about Paul's advice to not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought up by one or two witnesses, like sexual abuse, that, like, you talk to us. You talk to us. You bring that to us. So here's what I would try and do. I, I got to leave. But here's what I try and do, and here's what I encourage you to do. If you feel like you, you want to talk to me, to Troy, to someone else, to your group leader, uh, to an elder, I, first I try and examine my own heart and see what my motives are. Am I for the other person before I go to them? I had someone approach me this past week and it didn't even have anything to do with anything I had done but just how they were thinking and how they were feeling and I respected this family member going into that but I respected them even more going out of it because they came to me. They didn't talk against, they didn't talk behind, they just came and talked to me. On the other hand, I've only had this happen once but I've been in a sit-down meeting where someone literally told me, it's probably at this point that you say, this is. it would probably be better to use your gifts at another church. I was like... That, that takes courage, right? My heart was beating really fast. Like, I'm like, that really just happened, right? And so at that point, I was like, I don't even know what to do. So I just agreed, probably. I don't know. What do I say to that? Probably. Am I going to a person in an attitude of humility, trying to take the log out of my own eye before taking the speck in someone else's eye? Have I, what I try and do, this is when I approach someone. Have I prayed for a period of time before I approached them, asking the Holy Spirit to do something before I'd even do anything? Lastly, would I go talk to the person, being for the person, being humble and seeing the log in my own eye and the speck in the other person? Would I go to them and talk to them rather than talk against them? Again, I think these, I'm running out of time, These, these principles could apply to other areas. It could apply. Child to parent, it could apply. Employee to boss, though I don't know that, unfortunately, in the marketplace you have the freedom that you have to come to us with your bosses. I know that's not the case all the time. But family, I'll end with this. I'll end with this. Then Jesus came to them. This is Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age what part did i leave out all authority has been given to me therefore the one who had all authority is trying to give that authority away for the sake of god's glory for the good of the kingdom the most humble one was seeking to give that spiritual authority away the one who was the true high priest, where we didn't have to offer sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, he was it. He was trying to give that authority away for God's glory and for the good of the kingdom. The one who would lead people to the true promised land of eternity with him was trying to give that authority away for God's glory and for the good of the kingdom. Really, that's the only reason he gives us it, right? So that we can find faithful, available, teachable brothers and sisters in Christ who we give it away to so that they can give it away to others, so that they can give it away to others, so that we can see many disciples made, so that we can see God glorified, so that we could see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? I've got a couple questions after I pray. Father, I pray that as uh, we discuss these questions that your spirit would fill in any gaps, which there are many I'm sure that I missed, that you would affirm in our family that we are so blessed to be able to walk alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.